0: Thank you for downloading this sermon brought to you by the Preaching Ministry of Liberty Baptist Church of Las Vegas, Nevada, Dr. David Tice. For more sermons in both audio and video format, we encourage you to visit experienceliberty.com. Also, for a word of encouragement, insight, and biblical inspiration, follow Pastor David Tice's blog at davidtice.com. So without further ado, let's open our hearts to the Word of God. Pastor Thank you very much. Can I present you with something? I have a gift for you. I have... It doesn't hurt. It won't hurt too bad. Uh, a few of your members have told me in a few, few words that you are the man, basically. You know, that you are the greatest pastor. Uh, this guy this guy might have something to do with it. <laughs> I have I've heard about your pastor for many years, and it's been an honor to, to meet him today. And I've learned over the years that even the greatest pastors in the world have a few unruly church members. It just happens sometimes. And so... In Ecuador, you saw in the video how they plow the fields with cows and, uh, you know, yoke and oxen. And so this is basically what they use, a bigger version of this, to keep the cows in, in line, in other words. <laughs> now, the Kichwa people, they call this a booger stick, and uh, you can look at it and just, just guess why. But we wanted to give this. This was made by a dear friend of ours, a brother in the Lord in Ecuador, a Quichua man, a uh, faithful pastor of his church, and he made this to share with the pastors that we meet while we're here in the States. And so I wanted to give you this, just in case you have any unruly church members like this guy. <laughs> thank you, Pastor. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much, church. It's an honor to be here tonight, to be able to share uh, the Word of God with you and to share a few moments. Uh, the Lord has blessed our family in an incredible way. We've been in Ecuador since 2010, and the Lord has opened incredible doors, done incredible things, as you saw in the video, a few things that we mentioned there. And uh, we are here. Let's see, my wife is here. She does not want to stand up. I already know that. My wife is here. You can tell who my wife is. My boys, Jaden and Levi. Jaden, uh, he likes to fix everything that's broken, and he likes to break everything that's fixed. And that's, that's <laughs> what he spends his life doing. And uh, Levi, he loves uh, guitars and guitars and guitars, and he loves to play the guitar. Maybe at some point this week he can help out with the worship. He loves to, to play guitars and use his talents for the Lord. And God's blessed us in an incredible way uh, with a wonderful family. It's funny, you look at uh, Jaden and Levi, I'm very proud of what the Lord has done in, in their lives, and it's funny, you look at them, they, they look like... Uh, Gringos in other words, in Ecuador, gringo is not a not a bad word, and so I don't know if it, <laughs> gringos are very normal. It's a way of saying you care about someone, you love you love someone. It's a very good thing. So they look like a couple of gringos, but to be honest with you, Jaden and Levi have spent their entire life in a Quechua village, and so they have they understand the culture of the Quechua people really even more than my wife and I do, and uh, we're really thankful. Honestly, the God calls the husband and wife, and the children follow, but in reality, God puts something very special in their hearts as well. So I'm very thankful to have my family here with me, uh, Jaden, Levi, and my wife, Laura. And I hope you have a chance to come by and meet us in person, meet my family. We have some candies here on the back table, uh, I think. You guys take them all already? Yeah, okay. <laughs> These guys had a, had a handful, I think. <laughs> no, there's some candies. I brought a bag of 100, and we were standing at the table right here, and my wife said, what were you thinking? I was like, I don't know. I don't think I was thinking. But back there, we've got 100. So first come, first serve, enjoy the candies all you'd like. And uh, we, we flew here. Let's see. We flew out of Ecuador uh, Sunday night at midnight. We flew to Georgia first. We were in Georgia for about a half day, and then we flew over here last night, over here to, um, where are we, Las Vegas. This is my first time here in Las Vegas. And so if I say something that doesn't make sense, that'll be why I'm half asleep. Or, if I say something that doesn't make sense, there may be a different language that comes out of my mouth. I have been preaching in other languages for many, many years. I don't preach in English ever, hardly, <laughs> except we're here in the States. But we're going to pray that the Lord will help, and the Lord will guide me in everything that we, and I say. And so I'd like to do that at this moment. I'd like to pray, and I'd ask that you would pray with me as we give this time to the Lord. God, you have been good to each and every one of us, and we are thankful for this opportunity. Thank you for this church and the ways that you have blessed Pastor Tice and the other pastors and the members here. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness, and thank you for giving us the privilege to talk about missions this week. We know that this is your heartbeat. We know that you desire that people of every tribe and every tongue and every nation would be present in your throne. In fact, you promised that that's what would happen. And so, Lord, I pray that you would use us to be a small part in seeing that promise become a reality. I pray that you'd help us, Lord, whatever calling you place on our life, I pray that we would be faithful, and I pray, Lord, that we would uh, give you our lives and trust you with what you would choose to do. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this opportunity. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. If you have a Bible, I would encourage you to open to Acts chapter 17, Acts chapter number 17. I'd like to encourage you to, to consider a question tonight. I encourage you to consider this question. Do you have a compassionate heart? Do you have a compassionate heart? As we begin the missions conference, I would encourage you to think about that question as we head into the meetings that are coming. Do you have a compassionate heart? And I'm not talking, of course, about Uh, passionate heart towards stray animals or things like that. That's fine if you have a compassionate heart towards stray animals. Uh, We have two dogs in Ecuador. I wish one of them was a stray. I look for opportunities to let him out so that he would become a stray. (laughs) The other one I like a lot, but anyway, we have two, and you know how it is. Your heart, you care for animals for the most part. Most of you do. My mother-in-law comes to Ecuador quite a bit to visit us, and she has a bleeding heart for for stray animals. And I'm telling you, if you've ever been to Latin America, maybe other countries around the world, I'm not sure, there's animals everywhere. Everywhere you look, There are stray dogs, stray cats, stray everything. And as we drive, every block we, we have to stop. We say, oh, he's hungry. we got to give him something. Oh, he's hungry. I mean, he's this big. Oh, he's hungry. we got to give him something. You know how it is. A lot of people live that way. They just have a heart for animals, especially stray animals. But as we head into Missions Conference, I want you to understand that's obviously not the focus of this week. I would like you to think about this. Do you have a compassionate heart toward the spiritual needs of others? Do you have a compassionate heart toward the spiritual needs of others? And as we consider that question, we're going to look here at Acts chapter number 17, and we're going to consider the life of Paul and his missionary journey, and we're going to see some of the characteristics of a compassionate heart toward the spiritual needs of others. If you're familiar with Acts chapter 17, you know Paul's on his second missionary journey. He has gone to the city of Thessalonica. He preaches the gospel there. Bad things happen. People believe, but he's also persecuted in a great way. He is ushered out of Thessalonica. The believers, they help him. They get him out. They, they in a secret way, they get him out. They get him onto to the city of Berea. He gets there. Same thing happens again. He preaches the gospel. Persecution comes. And so the believers there they find a way to get him out, get him to the next area. So they send him by boat down to the city of Athens. At this point he got separated from his missionary team. You know the story, you're familiar with these details. He gets separated from his team, maybe for logistical reasons, but some of the team stays there in Berea in that area and Paul goes down to Athens. And the idea is we're going to meet in Athens, the team will meet back up together and from Athens we'll go on to Corinth. Corinth is the next stop. That's where we're going to preach the gospel. The wicked city of Corinth. We need to be ready. We need to be a team. And we're going to go on to Corinth together. So Paul, after that happens in Thessalonica, the persecution, he goes to Berea. He gets the persecution. He gets separated from his team. And he heads down to the city of Athens. He gets to Athens. He's all by himself. He's probably limping. He's probably bleeding. He's got some serious problems going on in his life. He gets to the city of Athens. And this is where we're going to pick up our story at this point. Acts chapter 17, verse number 16. The Bible says, "Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry." The Bible says here that his spirit was stirred in him. That's where I get the concept of compassion. Do you have a compassionate heart toward the spiritual needs of others? Paul's heart was stirred in him. If we were honest, many of us would say, after I've gone to this city and I've been persecuted for preaching, I've gone to this city, I've been persecuted for preaching, I'm going to another city where I'm probably going to be persecuted for preaching. When I get to this city, I'm just going to lay low for a little bit, just calm down for a little bit, just for a few moments. I'm going to wait for my team. I'm just going to see what happens, but in reality, when Paul gets there, he's got his spiritual eyes, he's got his spiritual glasses on, his eyes are open, he's paying attention to what's going on around him, and he sees the idolatry. Many historians say that in the city of Athens, it was easier to find a god than a person in the city of Athens. He just looked around, and he saw it, and the Bible says he had compassion. His heart was stirred within him for what he saw. If you'd come down to Ecuador and come to visit us, you're welcome, anytime. Come on down to visit us. We'll take you to the villages where we live and where we work. When you head into the villages, you will see uh, shrines to the sun god. You will see shrines to the moon god. You will see shrines to basically any other god that you can imagine as you walk through the villages. You'll also see all the other effects of sin. You know what what people think about Las Vegas. This is my first time here. And it's Sin City, right? That's the, that's the name of the, of the city. We told our people we were going to Sin City. They were a little concerned when we told them that. When we told them we were going for good reasons. But you know how it is. People, they, they see it, they hear it. And as a believer, we see the sin. We see the effects of sin, even to the point where they would celebrate the sin on the billboards or on TV or wherever it would be. And the reality is, is if we have a compassionate heart, our heart will be stirred for the spiritual needs When we see what is happening in the world, our heart will say, this is not right. They need Jesus. They need the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have no other option but to give it to them. And that's what Paul did when he got here to the city of Athens. He decided, I'm not going to lay low. I'm not simply going to wait. I'm going to preach the gospel to those who need to hear it. And so tonight, I would encourage you, if you have time later, you can read throughout the entire passage. It's really an amazing story. Our time is limited, so we won't read all of the verses, but I'd like you to consider a few simple thoughts, the characteristics of a compassionate heart. First, a compassionate heart preaches the gospel. A compassionate heart preaches the gospel. The Bible says in verse number 17, Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons, And in the market daily with them that met him. And certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him. And some said, what will this babbler say? Others some, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods, because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. Paul had a compassionate heart for the people so he immediately began preaching the gospel. He had no other option. These people need one thing and I have one thing that I can give them. I'm just going to preach the gospel. We can tell ourselves all day long we can try to convince ourselves I'm compassionate. I care about people. But in the end a compassionate heart will do something about the passion that is there. Paul felt stirred so he preached. Paul felt compassion so he shared the gospel. He shared the only thing that could possibly help them. It's interesting that Paul goes to the, the Jewish synagogue, which was his custom. He would go preach the gospel to the religious people, and then the Bible says he would go out into the marketplace, he would preach in the market, and he, here in this passage it says that while he was in the market, some philosophers heard what was going on. And so he's preaching the gospel to the religious, he's preaching the gospel to, the, to anybody basically who would be in the market, and he's preaching the gospel to the philosophical leaders of the city the guys with the phds you know the ladies who are the the professors at the highest universities he takes the gospel to them have you ever felt before that the gospel is really only for one specific group of people have you ever felt that in your heart without confessing it to others you think you know when i'm when i'm in this class with these kids who are in church i can share the gospel with them But when we're in a different context and we're at work or we're somewhere else and there's this this voice in us that says, the gospel is for that little room with those little kids. The gospel is not for this setting. But in reality, that's just Satan trying to discourage us. He's trying to get us to think, no, 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 you don't need to be talking about the gospel in this place. You can't mention that here. But Paul gets up and he says, I'm going to go to the religious places. I'm going to go to the market. I'm going to go to the most educated. It doesn't matter. I'm going to give them the gospel because this is what they need. This is the most important thing for them. The Epicureans were followers of, of, I'm sure you could guess, Epicurus. He died in the city of Athens in the year 270 B.C., so obviously they they loved Epicurus. The Stoics were followers of Zeno. Now, the Epicureans, they believed that there were no gods, most of them. They were basically atheists. So what they believed is, let's pursue as the highest goal in life, pleasure. There's no God, there's nothing after this life, so live it up the best you can, was their philosophy. And they were philosophers, and so you get on the other side, there's more philosophers, they're the Stoics. They were uh, basically pantheists, they believed in many gods, they, they put gods basically in all of their, their, their uh, what's the word, architecture, and their buildings, you know what I'm trying to say, in the, all these different things, they would put these different gods in different places. So Paul's got two philosophical groups here. One says there's no gods. The other says there's many gods. And Paul just stands in the middle, and he just says, no, 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 you got this all wrong. There's only one true God. Both of you are wrong. There's one true God. And he preaches the gospel. The gospel has no limits. We can preach to the atheist. We can preach to the pantheist. We can preach to the children. We can preach to the adults. We can give the gospel to anyone and everyone. That's the sign of a compassionate heart you understand that? That's the sign of a compassionate heart toward the spiritual needs of others. A compassionate heart preaches the gospel. You know, a lot of times when we think if I've got a, I've got a burden to do something, to share the gospel with somebody, we, in our mind we think it's just all going to go well, <laughs> and everything's going to work out, and a thousand people are going to get saved, and everything's just going to be perfect. Sometimes we have those thoughts when, you, when the missionaries, when they go to the field, that's the excitement. We think, man, Within the first three years, we're gonna have you know ten churches. We're gonna plant a bunch of churches, a bunch of people are gonna get saved, we think the whole world's gonna get turned upside down. Because sometimes we believe if there's just a calling, everything's gonna be perfect. Everything's gonna be fine. But in reality, if we read these verses here, Paul preaches the gospel and it doesn't turn out that way immediately. It doesn't turn out that way. some people say, What will this babbler say? That was a way of of insulting him if he didn't pick up on the language. They're insulting him. What's this babbler? What's he talking about? And then other people say he's a, he's a setter forth of strange gods. In other words, they're, they're misunderstanding him. They're misrepresenting him. You imagine people walking away. they got their arms around each other like, do you hear this guy? He's, he's setting forth different gods, divinities. In other words, they believed, they heard that Paul's saying there's a bunch of gods. So, the, so the, the, the ones who were the pantheists, they were probably in agreement. They were like, yeah, we like this guy. The other people, they were all upset. The Epicureans, they were all upset. You imagine, they're walking out, they're saying, this is what he's preaching about all these gods. Paul wasn't preaching that. That wasn't even the first thing of what Paul was trying to say. But they walk off and they say, you know, we're going to interpret it however we, we think is right. And they misrepresented Paul. When we got to Ecuador, we, uh, some of the villages that we, that we work in, we, we met all kinds of different religions. It's a mix of, of all these different kinds of uh, Andean worship and ancestral worship and a little bit of Roman Catholicism and just a mix of a bunch of different things. Everywhere we go, it's a little bit different. It's slightly different in the different communities. Well, we had this one lady in a church that we started about five years ago in this little Quichua village. We started the church there near where this lady lived, and her name is Mamita, Anybody who's an elderly lady and she's a Quechua lady. She's mamita We have a bunch of mamitas in our church and in our villages. There's just a bunch of mamitas and so mamita this particular mamita She told us she said I have my idols I'm good. I'm not going to the church. I don't need to know. I don't need to hear what you got going on there and so we Preached the gospel to others We we would invite her again. No, no, no. I don't I don't want any of that but over time Her neighbors got saved excuse me, people around her began to to invite her. They said, you need to come and listen. You need to come and hear. And over time, the devil's got my voice. (laughs) Over time, she came to the church. She listened over time. We always share the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. It usually takes about a year before someone gets saved the first time we share the gospel with them because we have to explain to them the entire Bible from beginning to end before they understand who Jesus is. And so we're sharing her, with her the whole Bible. And eventually, Easter Sunday, three years ago, she received Christ as her Savior in our church. And we were thrilled. We were so excited. Well, then, if I don't know, about a month later, a hailstorm came through the village. And in the hailstorm, if somebody's running to get me water, I'd appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you. You see me up here suffering. I appreciate that. <laughs> so a hailstorm <clears throat> comes through the village. And when the hail came down, it destroyed the crop of corn. The corn was already six or seven feet tall, and so we went down to the village after the hailstorm. There's all the all the all the corn just laying on the ground, just laying there. We thought, oh man, for these people, this is everything for them. You know, their their lives, their their livelihood basically is laying on the ground, completely destroyed. Well, then they had a community meeting. They do that for everything in the Kichwa villages. Every time they're going to do something, they have a, they have a meeting. They call all the community people together. They have a meeting. So they called a meeting. What are we going to do about the corn that's laying on the ground? And so the meeting, I'm going to leave you on the edge of your seat there while I get this water. I appreciate that, buddy. Thank you very much. So the, the community meeting, thank you again. They're, they're talking about what we do about this, uh, about the, the hail. And so the lady who had just received Christ as her Savior, she raised her hand. She says, I'd like to say something. So they let her speak. She stands up and she says, I know why this happened. I said, really? why did this happen? And she said, it's because a missionary came here and he told me all about this place called Egypt and about these plagues that God sent because the people there wouldn't listen to Moses. And so God sent this plague. And she said, this guy came here and he's speaking for God and we're not listening to him. So God sent a plague of hail." And I thought... On one hand, I'm like, praise Jesus. On the other hand, I'm like, these people are going to kill me. (laughs) You know, (laughs) this is their, everything's on the ground here. That's what happens. When you preach the gospel, you you really don't know. Some people are going to misunderstand. Some people are going to misrepresent you. But in the end, it's God's message. That's all we're doing. We're just preaching God's message. And when our heart is stirred, when our heart is compassionate toward the spiritual needs of others, that's what we're going to do. We're going to give them the only remedy that exists. So I want to encourage you to think about that question. Do you have a compassionate heart toward the spiritual needs of others? A compassionate heart preaches the gospel. Also, a compassionate heart is fearless in preaching the gospel. A compassionate heart is fearless in preaching the gospel. We've already seen a little bit of that idea, but let's take a look at verse number 19. It says, and they took him and brought him unto the, you know, I was going to practice how to say this word in English before I came up here, and I completely forgot, and I realized just now, I have no idea how to say this word in English, Areopagus, I'm going to guess. (laughs) Now that I lost where I was, Areopagus, there you go, saying, may we know what this new doctrine, whereof thou speakest, is, for thou bringest certain strange things to our ears, And we would know, therefore, what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the strangers which were there would spend their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear something new. So Paul gets the opportunity to share Jesus with these people. He begins to preach and he explains to them about Jesus and the resurrection, as it says... And it's interesting right here because the people said, we would like to know about these strange things that you're bringing to our ears. This is something new. We've never heard anything like this. And this is fascinating because right here it says in verse 21 that they spent all their time just sitting around chatting about what's new in the religious world. That's all they did. Hey, what'd you hear? What'd you hear about this philosophy? Have you heard anything new from this side of the world or that side of the world? They would just spend their life doing this. Paul comes up, and he preaches about Jesus, and they say, what is this? We never heard anything like this. You ever thought about that before? What does the world say? Now oh, all these religions, they're all the same. You just put them all in the same melting pot, and in the end, it's the same God. And I would like to encourage you about this. If, if what the Jehovah's Witness and the Mormons and the, and the Muslims and, and Christians and every other religious group in the world, if it seems like, Basically the same message to you, I would encourage you to listen one more time to the message of the Bible, the message of what is the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that sinners like us can be forgiven freely, not by our merit, not by anything that we have done, but simply by the grace of God because of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. There is no religion in the world that offers you anything like that, no culture, no philosophy, nothing. It's like that. That's why these philosophers, they sit back for a second, they say, explain this to us. This is strange. This is new to us. We would like to know more. And so Paul gets the opportunity to go up on Mars Hill. You've probably heard a little bit of his sermon on Mars Hill when he was preaching there. And we'll move through a little quick, quickly. But basically, Paul gets up on Mars Hill, and he says, as he preaches to these philosophical leaders, he says, hey, your religion is wrong. You're, you're, you are in many ways wrong too superstitious. You're way too religious. You've got religion everywhere. Your entire city is stained with religion, but you don't know God. You've got this statue over here to the unknown God. You've probably heard about that. He talks about this in his sermon. He said, he's the one I would like to explain to you because your religion is not helping you find God. In fact, the reality is your religion is hindering you from finding God. Your religion is keeping you from knowing God. There's nothing that the devil uses like religion to keep people from finding God. Religion gets in the way in so many different ways. And Paul says, hey, your religion is wrong. Paul says, your culture is wrong. Paul looks at the buildings as he's standing on the hill. I'd encourage you to to Google a picture of it. Maybe when you get home, this place still exists today, Mars Hill, where Paul preached. He's standing on the hill. He's looking around. There's these buildings everywhere. And the buildings would be dedicated to different gods. God's. And as he's looking around at these buildings, Paul says, this is not going to help you find God. God is not in these buildings. He doesn't need a temple built by human hands. He doesn't need us. We need him. And so their their religion, their architecture, their culture was was all intertwined together. And Paul says, you got it all wrong. None of this is going to help you know God. Paul's fearless. He has no reservations to simply say what the truth is. Paul's fearless. If you go down a little bit further, let's see, look at verse verse number 30. Paul's coming to the end of his sermon, and after telling the people, probably offending some of them, telling your, your culture's wrong, your religion is wrong, he says, in the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now... Commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. Paul gets to the end of his sermon here and he says, after saying all of these different things, he said, Here's what you have to do you have to repent. If you want to know God, it's not through your culture, it's not through the architecture, it's not through your religion, it's not through things you say and things you do. You have to repent and believe in Jesus Christ. He's the only way to know God. There's no other option. This is the only way. He's not scared to say that. Even in a a pluralistic culture like what he was dealing with in Athens, like what many of you are living in here in the United States today, he's not afraid to say, no, there's only one way, and his name is Jesus. Now, do we have any philosophers here? Any philosophers here? No? Levi? Any philosopher? No? Not yet. One day. All right. So if you, were a good, if you know anything about philosophy, if you study philosophy at all, here's what you should have done if you were in this crowd. Paul gives his argument. He preaches. And then what would a good philosopher say? Basically, all right, that's your opinion. Let's hear the other guy. Right? That's philosophy. I want to hear your debate, and I want to hear your debate, and then we'll debate about your debates, and we'll decide which one's better. We'll probably never come to a conclusion, but we'll talk about it. We'll have some debates about it. And so Paul says something very interesting. I think Paul knew that was coming. So what does he say at the very end of the sermon? He says, we know that this is true. We know that there's a day of judgment coming. Why? Because of Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. Why does he mention Jesus' resurrection right here at the end? I think he was preparing to answer these philosophical minds. He was saying, hey guys, I'm not coming here to give you my thoughts. This is not my religion. This is not my culture. These are not my ideas that I created in my mind. I came here to tell you about a man who was dead, and God raised him from the dead. There's no other religion that can offer this. No other philosophy can explain this. This is not my opinion. This is historical fact. And God is saying that he is the one that guarantees there will be a judgment after this life. As Paul says, you have to repent. A compassionate heart preaches the gospel. A compassionate heart is fearless in preaching the gospel. And I'd like you to consider just one more quick thought. A compassionate heart is an instrument in God's hands. A compassionate heart is, in, is an instrument in God's hands. If you have anything in your mind or your heart right now that is telling you, I mean, I would love to preach the gospel, but I do not have the right words to say. I'm not going to have the right answers. I'm going to fumble over my words. I'm going to end up discouraging the guy more than encouraging him. So it would probably be better if I just, you know, don't put my foot in that one. You know, just going to stay back and not say anything. I want to encourage you to think about what happened this day when Paul preached. Look at the verse. uh, What verse are we in? 32. The Bible says, And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. And others said, We will hear thee again of this matter. So Paul departed from among them. Howbeit, certain men clave unto him and believed. Think about that. Three different reactions. The first people, first group, mocked him. This guy's a nut. We don't, want, we don't even want to debate with him. We don't want to know anything else. The other group says, maybe <laughs> we'll think about it. Maybe we'll debate a little bit, but we're definitely not convinced. And then what does the Bible say? But some believed. Some believed. Why did they believe? Was it because Paul was so eloquent with his words? Was it because He's the greatest missionary or the greatest pastor, the greatest preacher? Was it because of any of those things? God could use any of those things, but in the end, it was because of God. The gospel is the power of God, is the power that God uses for salvation, to save souls. When we preach the gospel, God works. God does things that we cannot do. These people did not believe because Paul was so great. They believed because the message was so powerful powerful. It's the same message that you have. It's the same message that every single one of us can share with those who are around us. It's the message that you carry to your home and to your work. It's the message that we carry to Ecuador and others carry to other places around the world and you you help and you support and you pray to send these missionaries so that they can take this same message. The message is powerful. A compassionate heart is simply an instrument. On Friday, what's today? Wednesday. So, on Friday last week, five days ago, I was standing in a field under the blistering Andean sun. It never gets hot where we are because we're almost 10,000 feet in elevation. So, it's not hot, but the sun hurts. You know what I mean? You ever been in a place where the sun just hurts when you walk outside? That's how Ecuador is. Yeah, here. Oh, my goodness. What am I thinking? Here. (laughs) You know what's funny? Jaden, I forgot you told me that. As soon as we're walking in the door, I hear Jaden says to me, it feels like the sun in Ecuador here. I was like, it does, doesn't it? And I completely forgot where I was. So, yeah, well, imagine walking outside. That's what I was feeling last Friday. So I'm standing in this field. I'm helping a guy in our church. We don't go to Starbucks to do discipleship. We uh, work in the field together. And so I'm, with the, I'm there with a, a member of our church, a guy. His name is Welky Miguel. Welky is a uh, quichua for brother. Yeah, Miguel, you've heard that that name before. And so, welcome, Miguel. I meet him in his field. We're cleaning out his field, and uh, he just planted some beans, so we're cleaning the weeds out, basically spending some time together and talking about the Lord, trying to help him, disciple him, help him grow in the Lord. And as we're there, he's sharing his heart. I know his heart. Miguel, when he got saved, he has a burning desire to see his family come to faith in Christ. He talks about it all the time. I mean, every service, he raises his hand. Brother, can we we pray for my family? I mean, just service after service after service. For years, he is compassionate toward his family. He wants to see his family receive Christ. And we talked about his family the whole time we were out in the field, different his sons and his his daughter, daughters-in-laws, sons-in-laws. His wife rejects the message. She wants nothing to do with it. We talked about all his different family. We prayed for them as we walked through the field. And over the last three years, I've had the privilege of leading three of his grandchildren to the Lord, all three of his grandchildren, they were, they were 11 and two of them were 13. All three of them told me, you know, my granddad just keep, kept telling me this message. He just, just kept telling me about Jesus, kept telling me I needed to come to church. And if you meet Miguel, I mean, he's just a goofball. He's funny. He doesn't have any teeth. He just laughs and laughs and laughs all the time. He just loves the Lord. He's just full of joy. When he talks, I mean, it takes him 30 minutes to say something that should take a minute. You know, he's one of those kind of guys. But God uses him as an instrument. We went about two months ago. I went to uh, Welkie Miguel's daughter's house. He, he goes around the village. He finds people who want to hear the message. And then, usually, every week, I'll meet with him and we'll go from house to house. And he'll tell me, All right, these people want to hear. And so we'll go and we'll preach the gospel there. And he said, All right, let's go to this house now. And he'll, this is how he, how, we lead, how he leads me throughout the village. And we went to his daughter's house and we sat down in their bedroom. Uh, we sat on five gallon buckets turned upside down, beer bottles everywhere, all throughout the room, lining every wall in the room, and we sat there. His daughter is about 35 years old, and we went for the purpose of sharing the gospel with her. We had been teaching her the Bible, the Genesis to Revelation, the whole Bible story, and he said, I I think she's ready to hear the gospel. We need to go share it with her. And so we went, we sat down, we took a little gift. You always have to bring a gift when you go to a teacher person's home. We gave gave her the gift. We sat down. We spent about two hours just getting ready to talk. Kichwa ministry is very slow, <laughs> very, very, very slow. So we talk and we talk and we talk and we get to the things of the Lord. Now I knew that's that's my that's my key. You know, I got I need to jump in. It's time for me to preach the gospel. Well, welcome Miguel. He starts he starts talking, and he keeps talking, and he keeps talking, and I'm thinking to myself, here we go again. He's gonna, he's gonna, he's gonna talk for an hour, and I realized I mean he's really making sense in what he's saying. I mean, he's really—he's telling his daughter, it's time for you to believe. And he apologized to his daughter for the way that he treated her because he was unsaved when she was growing up. He said, I'm, I'm sorry for what I've done. I'm sorry for the way I lived, but Jesus has changed me. You've seen that. Jesus has changed my life. And I look over there, and I see tears running down his face. And he is just, I mean, for about 30, 45 minutes, he is just preaching, preaching, preaching the gospel to his daughter. And the Kichwa people, they are very, very slow to make decisions. Very, very slow. And so finally when he gets to the end, she looks down. She looks up. She's got tears running down her face too. And she says, Dad, I've seen what Jesus has done in your life. And I want to follow Jesus. And she leaned down in the middle of all those beer bottles. And she leaned down. And she accepted Christ as her Savior. I didn't say a word. I just sat there and listened I just sat there and prayed. Listen, if you have a compassionate heart, you will do whatever it takes to get this message out to your family, to your friends, your neighbors, whatever it takes. To people on the other side of the world you've never met, you will do whatever it takes to get this message out. And if you will just do that, God will use you. God will play the instrument however he wants to play it. You just be the instrument. You just let God do what he wants to do, God will open the doors. God will change lives. God will use the power of his message to do what we could never do. God will do it. We're simply instruments. So as we head into this week, I want you to think about that question. Do I have a compassionate heart toward the spiritual needs of others? I encourage you to bow your heads and close your eyes as we close. We hope that message was an encouragement to your heart. Now for weekly updates and for information about Liberty Baptist Church, be sure to follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC of Las Vegas. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, God bless.